Broadcasting from occupied territories, or the flea media, it's the Reality Dysfunction Podcast. A space where a diverse group of brown folk from across the nation explore the political experiences and social future of our Chicano Latino community. Control the narrative. Resist the dysfunction. All right, it's good to be back. I have uh, Brother Enrique Cardial with me from uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico. So, uh, Enrique, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and um, how it is that you came to run for uh, state rep there in Albuquerque? Yeah, so I've been with La Raza Unida since, uh, I think, 1993. I think in 95 is when I found out you could register uh, to vote as a Raza Unida voter. Uh, so somewhere around that time is when I registered. I ran for school board in 1999. And that really was just trying to see if we thought we were ready for that kind of work. And, you know, we, we weren't, uh, you know, it was just not, not where we were at. Last year, the state representative for the, the area where I live had to leave office. And so there was an appointment process and um, a lot of neighbors and, and folks really encouraged me to put my name in for that. And so, you know, I told people, well, I don't think they're going to um, appoint somebody that's not a Democrat. People are like, don't worry, just do it. You know, and I was like, okay. Uh, you know, after a while, I, I decided to try that out. And so I put my name in and you know, without going into all kinds of background details, you know, uh, I didn't get appointed. I did receive a few hundred emails of support. And usually for that process, people don't try hard to get, you know, emails of support. They just kind of, people who know the county commissioners who are the people who do the appointing usually just get appointed very little public input or engagement or anything like that. So I did that. And um, this woman that I know was appointed. And so I kind of figured, okay, you know, unless she does a super terrible job, I don't have to think about this position or anything anymore. Kind of change my internal gears back to just doing the, the kind of community work I'd been doing. Then turns out she didn't think she could uh, continue in the office. You know, uh, she's got a young child and having to leave home a lot and all of that just felt too hard for her. So the seat was open and, you know, I checked in with folks uh, again and, and again, my folks that are my neighbors more than anybody else were really encouraging me to go for it. So I finally put my name in and then, you know, we started the process of, of running for office. So that's how, how we got here. Um, I ran as an independent, uh, we would need to do a lot of work to get La Raza Unida recognized and, and to be on the ballot. It just shows kind of how the system is set up. Right. So I was told to run as an independent. And then when it came down to it on the ballot, and on the Secretary of State website, they had me listed as uh, 
not affiliated or declined the state, really just like what you have to go through to, to say who, you know, what party you're with or anything like that is just a, a major obstacle. So actually, um, you're still registered with the state of New Mexico as being a member of the Rasa Unida party. Yes. So you were then in effect, the only person in the country this last election who was running as a Rasa Unida member. As far as I know. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's, well, I think as far as I know too, <laughs> I think, <laughs> I think you were it brother. You are, you are our, our sole candidate that was, that was doing that. How does that feel? It's exciting and it's awkward at the same time. When I went to college and, and took Chicano studies classes and all that, you know, is where I learned about La Raza Unida. And I already felt that, you know, uh, the Democratic Party wasn't really serving our community, even though I was raised with, like, you know, pictures of John F. Kennedy in the house and all those things, right? You know, everybody in my family was hardcore Democrat. Um, and I was registered as a Democrat, you know, as soon as I registered to vote. So it was exciting uh, on that level to to think, you know, that, hey, somebody from La Razonida is running. And a lot of people went with that. I wasn't sure how that would play publicly, you know, so I just kept focusing on being an independent, you know, figured if, if I was elected, then being registered Razonida would probably become news. Not sure how that would play out in a, a district that's not really, you know, a Chicano district, right? It's a very mixed district. My community is called the International District, which is very different here in New Mexico than in other cities, right? We don't have like a Chinatown or anything like that, right? But it is the area with like the most Chinese folks and most immigrants and all of that. And then it was awkward because we haven't done electoral stuff, you know, and even some of the, the Rasanida folks, you know, were not excited about electoral work, you know, so it was awkward on that, on that level, but it was also interesting to think about, you know, if I would have been elected, you know, that that would have uh, been a historical election in that sense of like, here's a Rasanida member, you know, in the house of representatives in New Mexico, you know, even one of the, uh, Democrats who spent a lot of money against me uh, recognized that, you know, when we talked back in August, he's like, well, if you get in there, that's really historic, man. You know, so I think that, yeah, that was both uh, exciting and, and, and awkward, like I said. I can see that. I mean, I, I just want to congratulate you for running, really. I mean, I'm the veteran of many electoral campaigns. I know how hard it is. And I, you know, I, I know how hard it is to run. I know how hard it is to win. Forget running. You know what I'm saying? Like, but to win, right? I mean, that's the uh that's that's the part that really takes a lot of effort is to actually, you know, do it to to get the votes that that are necessary. And so yeah, I just, you know, I want to say congratulations on mounting uh a campaign. I mean, this is I think that lots of times in our community. I mean, and I feel this way, and I understand why other people do, that, um, you know, we look at Republicans and we look at Democrats and we're just like, these guys are full of shit. Republicans propose it, Democrats vote for it. They're two sides of, of the same coin. Well, they might be different sides, but they're of the same coin, you know? And when we think about 
the political power that the potential political power that resides in our community with 62 million people living in, in just in, in the United States. And when we think about how helpless we are to enact any sort of like legitimate uh, legislation or enforcement of our will, right? And children in prison and uh, families being torn apart. And sure, that's not white folks, but I mean, that's not us too. You know, I mean, we have not found the internal fortitude to make that stop. Right. And so I think it's, uh, I think it was interesting. I, you know, like I was saying, and, and I know that you have a long history uh, where you live of grassroots work. They are very well known in your community that people respect you. I mean, just looking at the list of people who endorsed you as a former mayor of Albuquerque is one of the people that endorsed you, who is a Democrat. Oh, the current mayor. The current mayor. Oh, the current, was it the current mayor? My bad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> who is a no, Democrat, no. Yeah. right? Yeah. yeah, endorsed you. But I know that electoral politics isn't necessarily something that you're looking for or looking towards. I also know it's not necessarily what you're advocating for. So, you know, why why this turn, what's the turn, the ideological turn, the philosophical turn, you know, however you want to put it for the people who are listening? Well, I think the thing is, one of the, the things that's in the awkward space, right, is is I understand why people don't want to participate in electoral politics. I totally get it. Obviously, if I was enthusiastic about it, I would have been running, you know, a lot long, long time ago uh, and a lot more regularly and all of that. And in fact, people are encouraging me to run this year for a couple of open seats, uh, you know, city council and school board. You know, and I got to think about it seriously, you know, because now I've kind of raised some expectations. And so I got to try to be responsible with that. But I think the Working Families Party lays it out best. They're like, you know, we concede a lot of things to the Republicans and Democrats by not participating in that system, right? We just hand it over to them and say, okay, decide what immigration law is going to be like, decide what policing looks like, decide what our schools look like. I know why people say, well, yeah, but being in electoral politics doesn't change that. Well, look, we've been outside of electoral politics, you know, for so long, and we haven't changed it that way either, right? So we got to own up that, we have a responsibility to our community. Yeah. And I think, you know, the thing we like to use is by any means necessary. And, and people like to get romantic about revolution when they talk about, you know, it by any means necessary. But I can tell you how hard it is to get people to vote, which is a very easy thing to do. You go down somewhere. You, yeah. You go down somewhere, you fill up bubbles and, and you put the card <laughs> in the machine. That's it. You know. And it takes a ton of work, right? The campaign was 270 days. We door knocked, I'd say at least 150, if not 200 days out of the 270 days, right? You know, that wasn't enough to secure a, an electoral victory, right? I don't feel defeated by any stretch. Uh, but, you know, as far as the election went, right? Obviously, I'm I'm not talking to you as like, you know, representative elect, but, you know, there's things, you know, in your head and then there's things, you know, in your whole being. 
you know, and after the, uh, this campaign, I realized like, okay, talking about revolution and social movements or resistance and all of that is important and necessary. And it's going to take a heroic amount of effort to make progress for our community. And so a lot of people could just kind of back off from that. But I think we're, we have, like I said, I think we have a responsibility to approach various means, you know, and I'm no longer uh, a youngster that uh, feels like throwing rocks at the police in the middle of the street. And I'm not going to criticize that either. But I think the reality is it was a ton of work to get out there and door knock when it's 100 degrees, uh, door knock when it's raining, um, you know. That's right. And, and hours at a time and, and day after day, you know, so um, again, I'm not going to critique protesting, but I've been to a lot of protests and this campaign was a lot harder. Yes. I have also been to a lot of protests and I, I say my rock throwing is all metaphorical these days <laughs> mostly because i got really bad knees man and there's no way i'm running from anybody bro i mean if we're running and i fall you might as well just leave me because I'm, I'm not gonna i'm not getting back up i'm just zombie meat it's true you know organizing long-term social change is hard it is life consuming it takes time and it takes thought you know, and, you know, like you, yeah, I mean, I spent a good portion of my 20s and 30s and early 40s, you know, out on the street. I don't regret that. And I don't, I'm not telling anybody that's that you, you shouldn't do that. You should do that. You should go out there and you should do it. Because the the problem I that I've seen, and I think that you've you've kind of touched on this a little bit in what you're saying is that we tend to think something can only be done one way. But in fact, what we underestimate is the totalizing power of the system, the settler colonial system that confronts us, right? That it, it's it's power over us, this influence over us, the, ideolog the ideological influence of it is totalizing and that it takes every piece, every ounce of our energy to resist that even even mentally right so to say or to turn your back on any one way of resistance i mean is to abandon the field because and it's and if you think about like i mean if you read a lot of uh, third world revolutionists right one of the things that that they say or that they point out is that the totality of society must be organized in the effort to overthrow colonialism because colonialism is a totalizing system. And so it just amazes me how people get, well, shitty with each other. Oh, you shouldn't do that. Or that's not going to do anything. Or, you know, this and that. And it's just like, do what you got to do. Let these folks do what they got to do. Maybe in the end, we'll all figure out how to do it together. But um, I think it's I think it's important, you know, for for people to get out and and to do that thing. But we have to organize parties. We have to reorganize the rest. We need a party. We need to have conversations about what it means to be in power, right? What does it mean to run? 
you know, um, an organization. I mean, think about how many of our uh, have never had the opportunity to be in charge of an organization. It's mind boggling. So you talked about school board. Are you thinking about making another run? Is that a, is that a, a serious idea? Yeah. Yeah. You know, our, our chapter year, you know, we're technically an organizing committee, not a chapter and there's a long story to that uh, that I think we can go into at another time. But, you know, we've done a lot of educational things around like the 50th anniversary of, of there was a riot, Chicano riot here, you know, 51 years ago. And we did events around that doing youth committee work, mutual aid work, as well as participating in, in street actions, you know. And so I think, like I said, I, I, I don't want to critique and I've been part of all of that work. So I'm not critiquing that like, oh, we've not been anything because we haven't run for office. No, I, we've done lots of good work and we continue to do lots of good work. You know, I think one set of comments I saw right after the election was just this debate that happened on, on somebody's Twitter. I'm assuming from the name of Chicano Democratic person who works on campaigns was just trying to critique somebody for supporting me um, because there was a Democrat running and you know, you're going to get Republicans elected. That whole whole kind of fear thing that that Democratic Party operatives use, and there's a legitimate place for that conversation. But I think that challenging that power is important. So one of the things he said, you know, was like, "No, if you support," so he was critiquing Working Families Party for endorsing me, and the punchline was, he said, "What you're going to do is normalize people outside of the two party system running." That's you know, that's definitely the punchline. Yeah. <laughs> and, the, and the light bulb turned on and it's like, well, yeah, that's the goal, brother. I made a commitment to try this politician thing out for a few years. Even if I'm not running for office directly myself to, to like look at where I can support people running, you know, uh, the Green Party endorsed me, a couple of other community organizations endorsed me. And what I learned from that and from being endorsed by a bunch of Democrats was that, you know, as much of a totality as, as all of that is, is that it's not impenetrable. And looking at Arizona and Georgia and their elections this year, a lot of Democratic Party strategists talked about how it took them 10 years to flip one seat from Republican to Democrat. And so it's like, okay, we're trying uh, up a much steeper hill to turn uh, seats from something, you know, into independent or into Rasanida or into Green Party, you know, that that's the kind of effort we're talking about. Like, we have to think in like decades, not like uh, three months or uh, two weeks, you know. And we have uh, the, the added burden of having to also simultaneously think not just about how we get someone elected, but how it is that we begin to build outside of the electoral process, right? Like how do we begin to reinvent our communities? How do we begin to uh, re-educate or maybe not, maybe re-educate is even too much. How do we begin to educate um, our own people, you know, about the, the situation that they find themselves in after, you know, all these centuries of of colonialism and we're we're just looking around and 
there's so many of us that are just clueless about about what's going on, you know. So yeah, I, I feel that. Yeah, and you know, and again, you know, totally understanding why people say like, I don't want anything to do with elections. I it makes sense. Look at what electoral politics has been doing for us in the last 30, 40 years. I live in the most urban part of New Mexico. You know, it has one of the highest poverty rates. It's the most diverse part of the state and it's in bad shape, right? I love my community, but you know, there's a lot of unhoused folks here. There's a lot of violence, a lot of poverty. And we've been represented by Democrats for the last 30, 40 years. Yeah. Right. So we can't just do the traditional thing of showing up at election time and asking people to vote. Yeah. Uh, we need to build a base and we need to build relationships with people. Yeah. Right. So it's, it's not the same approach. Right. The, the Democratic Party used to do the old school door to door approach. They've kind of moved away from that to a more top down, you know, send in a bunch of money and win the campaign and it's been working. You know, I'm not going to say it's not working because look around, but we really need to go back to building power for our community. Yeah. Part of that is voting and part of that is, uh, you know, not voting. Part of that is being engaged and challenging, you know, the systems of power. So I always tell people, you know, go out and vote, but then keep organizing, right? It's not, it's not vote and then you're done. I keep trying to think of the a three word thing because there is that um, old Rasanida logo that you know said vote and organize. I think you know. Yeah, I don't remember. I think it said register and vote. I think that was all it said. But you know, mm-hmm. we need to register vote, but we also need to organize. You yeah. know, we need to like make that part of it. You know, and, and we need to be aware that in reality, for most folks. For most of our folks, right, they see the Republican Party as much worse than the Democratic Party. Yeah. And we can get into, you know, like you said, the, the two sides of the coin. We can get yeah. to, to talk about, like, how thick is that coin? How far apart are those two sides? Right. Right. <laughs> uh, is it a quarter? Is it a dime? Is it a nickel? Right. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. The, the reality is, is if we run people for office in a way that helps Republicans get elected, right? We're going to lose our base. People will turn against us. We need to be, you know, very cognizant of that and look at like, so what does that mean? You know, how, how do we build? And, you know, there's plenty of seats that are unchallenged uh, where only one party runs all the time that, you know, we could run folks. There's districts like mine, which is, you know, 52, 53% Democrat, uh, 17% Republican, and the rest is folks who are not with the two parties, you know, 30, over 30%. And so I didn't do all of that calculations before running. I just listened to like the mujeres in the community who told me it was time to step up or shut up, you know, but now it's it's become very different i i ran as a neighborhood thing right i'm like a lot of people feel that the the democrat who who was elected moved here just to run for office they've never said that so i'm not going to put those words in their mouth you know but they have only lived here you know a little more than a year and you know i've been living here and working here for 25 uh, 
so you know, I, I I went into it as like this is a neighborhood thing, right? We don't want somebody who doesn't understand the neighborhood to be representing. Throughout the campaign, though, I mean, we got contacted by people in California, Texas, Colorado, Massachusetts, you know, who are like, yeah, we're watching your campaign. I'm like, how the hell do you watch my campaign? You know, I'm like, there's no TV coverage or anything. So I think they were maybe just following the social media on it, you know. And I came to realize, like, this was much bigger than just myself. This was much bigger than just my neighborhood. And I'm not going to minimize uh, my community, right? right? But, but, you know, there were folks who, like, we think, you know, this person who's not a Democrat has a chance. And we want to be behind that. You know, we want to support that. Um, so we just need to figure out how to create those types of situations uh, in other places. If anything, it definitely seemed to have stressed out part of the Democratic Party um, because they poured tons of resources into this race. Like I said, that's not big enough to get TV coverage. Um, but, you know, they spend over $60,000. Yeah. Uh, which is more than what I, you know, yeah. what I raised. And what I raised was more than anybody expected, including myself. Yeah. Well, they're, they're watching. The the Dems are watching. They are. I mean, that's one thing I learned a long time ago as a young man, is that the more they tell you that you're not a big deal, the more that you better bet that they're watching what's going on. So, I mean, it's, and I think it's uh, the same thing here. I mean, sure, that's not, you know, the amount of monies that they spent, maybe not be a, it's not a lot in the, you know, in their grand scheme of things, right? But, um, but they spent it and that, that's important to uh, keep in mind. Yeah, this uh, gentleman who lives in the neighborhood who used to be a ward chair for the Democratic Party. Uh, I haven't looked in to confirm this, but according to him, this was the most expensive race in the state. That would be an interesting thing to know, Enrique. I think it would be anyways. Because if it is, then, I mean, that's just, that's another one. That's another little piece of the pie right there. I mean, I, I raised more money for my campaign than most of my endorsers raised for theirs. See, this is, there's a lot of forensic work that needs to go into, um, into understanding what happened in a campaign, right? To really look at it after it's over. Look at the votes. Look at where people voted. How much money was raised? Who are the people that that donated? You know, I think it's. Um, it just goes back to what you were saying earlier. I mean, this is this is hard work. This is hard brainiac kind of work. I think that's one of the things that gets people freaked out about it the most is because once they start watching and seeing what's happening, they're just like, oh yeah, I don't want to do all that. You know, because yeah. it, it's much easier just to like sort of parade around sometimes, you know, which is what some people do. They parade around and, you know, or write, you know, really radical things on Facebook. Um, it's easy. It's a one and done, you know. No, brother, what you did and what your people did over there. And I am I know from personal experience how much work that your wife put into this and your family put into it. I just want to say again. I really commend you. We're 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 at our time, and so um, we got to kind of wrap up. But if you have any last thoughts, I would say go ahead. You know, going back to like the the concrete, right? Is 
we started with a list of 15,000 voters, cut out a thousand people that were considered inactive by the state right away. We walked and tried to knock 14,000 doors three times. We got to, we got to twice. You know, there was places we couldn't get into apartments with locked doors and, and stuff like that. But, but we made a, uh, an honest effort at, at reaching and what the biggest lesson, it's not that we didn't knock on all the doors, but we got, but I think we had 600 and uh, something positive IDs. And for folks who don't use that language, that those are people that told myself or a volunteer uh, that they were going to vote for me or probably vote for me, right? And we got 870 votes, right? So it was very close. It was just a little bit over, you know, like 1.1. And that's the that's the thing, right? For those of us who are not part of the mainstream, you know, it's going to take that in-person contact yes. to get people to do something, you know. So we can social media all day long. We can even do literature drops where we don't talk to people, but leave flyers at their door all day long. Uh, but really talking to folks in person is going to be the thing that, that makes a difference. You know, Yeah. we had over a hundred volunteers, um, you know, so it's, yeah, it's, I mean, how often do you have a hundred people volunteering on any particular project? You had a big campaign, a hundred people. Yeah. yeah. You had a big campaign. It's amazing. So I, so I think really that just shows like if it takes that much work, right, to challenge, you know, like I said, I didn't go in intending to challenge, but to challenge the system in, in this kind of way, you know, I think that puts into perspective what we need when we talk about any other goals that we, we set, right? Yeah. We had a study group a couple of years ago and we, we studied uh, the movement in Syria, you know, that... Uh, they call Rojava, the folks who are, who are there. And, you know, the book that, uh, that I picked out, I'll, I'll take the blame for it, you know, seemed kind of academic and was hard for some folks to read. But there was one section where they talked about people basically going door to door and talking to folks and encouraging them to participate for years. And people being out, you know, until late every night for, for years. So, it, you know. Uh, it's changing my idea of what, when I can say I'm organizing. Yeah. Uh, and I can say I'm organizing much less going forward than I used to say back in the day, you know, and I'm very clear that like mobilizing, you know, is what we do on social media or, or those kind of things. But the organizing is talking to folks who are like, why should I care? Why should I get involved? And, and, trying to reach those folks and get them involved. That's where the real work is at. And that's, that's the harder work. Uh, it's easy to get like the 15 uh, radical friends, you know, to show up to a demonstration together, um, you know, and watch each other's back and do all that. There's hard work there. I'm not, again, I'm not want to minimize it, but it's much different than like talking to people who don't agree with us and trying to come to some common understanding of the world. I guess my final closing sentence would be like, you know, challenging power is, is a lot of hard work, but it's rewarding work, right? You you can feel it 
when you give that level of effort, regardless of the outcome, it's it's rewarding and, and it builds upon itself. And I think we all could do with figuring out our own personal ways of, of stretching ourselves. This is the reality dysfunction.